Hi, I'm Margie Namora, and welcome to another episode of our side dish, The Dream Dinner Party. This is the mini episode where we invite a guest to tell us all about their dream dinner party. This is a game I know a lot of people have played, perhaps on a long car journey, maybe even a first date, and definitely around the dinner table. So it's really fun to sit down with a different guest every week and hear who they would invite and what they would serve. Today's guest is Donal Skian, who is so much fun and who has actually been on Desert Island Dishes before, a few years ago now, but definitely worth having a listen to his main episode if you haven't heard it yet, as it's a goodie. That was right in the early days when I turned up with a little dictaphone recorder (laughs) and essentially hoped for the best. Donal has a new book out called The Home Kitchen, and honestly, Donal's books are really great. I don't know how he does it. I tried to get him to give me all of his secrets, but instead I did persuade him to tell us all about his dream dinner party, and this is a very fun one. I'm going to be posting Donal's little black book on Instagram, which is a new feature we're trying out and I thought it might be quite fun. So keep an eye out for that and show it some love if you like it. Really hope you enjoyed today's episode. I am a big proponent of the dinner party and I always have been. My mum was a great host of dinner parties, um, but I have inherited her level of anxiety that comes with dinner parties. Okay. So as much as I love them and I love the pomp and ceremony and I love, you know, the planning of a meal and the menu and everything and all the little details of laying the table, I also have inherited her um, flapping around the house (laughs) in the hour or so before guests arrive. And I have that innate desire to have everything perfect and want it to be right. So over the years, I've become much better at hosting them because I have got better at trying to make my dinner party plans unflappable and (laughs) ensure that they go smoothly and without major fails. The art of a good dinner party is something that is long forgotten and something Mm. that we should be aiming and striving to bring back. Mm. I think they are making a bit of a comeback, which I'm very excited about. But do you get to throw them very often because you're so busy with so many different things? I do. And I suppose my, my cooking and you know, the job that I do between writing books and doing TV and stuff like that. The job that I do does, funny enough, uh, take me away from actually cooking for my family and cooking for friends and makes my life busy. But what I do get the most enjoyment out of are those moments where we actually sit down and eat together as a family or as a family with friends or, you know, extended family. So having that time is very special. And And I think, you know, even when I look back at why I cook, it is that convivial nature of sitting down and sharing conversation, share, and it might not even be about the food. It's about mm. being able to kind of connect on a sweeter level. And I really enjoy the that aspect of it because for me, you know, I, I'm not particularly religious. I'm not particularly, you know, spiritual, but I do have that sense of finding a, a grounding nature in cooking uh, something I love for the people I love. And yeah. I have always found that. Yeah. Oh, that's a lovely way of putting it. <laughs> so, Donal, welcome to your dream dinner party. Who are you going to invite? This was probably the hardest question I've had to think about. But this week for my dinner party, um, I'm going to go with um, the incredible director, Wes Anderson, <gasps> who I'm a massive fan. He can do no wrong in my eyes. I was only having dinner last night with friends who are also Wes Anderson fans, but a little more critical of his work. And oh. they were criticizing his last um, film, Asteroid City. And I stood there as a staunch <laughs> proponent of his work because he just, he creates these 
landscapes, these dreamscapes of of life, and and also manages to tell beautiful stories within them. I think mm-hmm. I ha- I was born potentially in the wrong decade. I think I was more of a 50s, 60s, or 70s child, and I love the sort of the retro vintage vibe and that that he layers into his work. Yeah. Um, I also like the way his work is quite like project based, and I like to think when I apply that to like recipes and books, and I like the idea that things are of a time and you create a little world within each project and Mm. I love that he does that I don't know much about him as a person I actually don't know that much Mm. about him as a person either I know his work intimately Mm. but I I know isn't that strange when you feel like you know someone so well because of the work and then actually because I've never seen an interview or so I'm I'm obsessed with um Ruthie Rogers table four podcast along with yours obviously Um, but she's pals with him and I thought she had done a podcast with him and so like I feverishly tried to like scroll and look back and I thought it had been deleted and so um, if Ruth Rogers uh, is listening uh, please could we have a Wes yes. Anderson podcast oh my goodness, how cool is- and then we'd understand a little bit more about it but yeah. he's yeah he's he's someone who is kind of has that sort of mysterious quality and I think he'd be perfect dinner party guest well, yeah forget about Ruthie's podcast don't <laughs> know she's he's coming to the dream dinner there party there you go exactly exactly <laughs> okay and who will be joining him well, um, as I said, I uh, I think I was born in the wrong generation and I am an unashamedly uh, huge ABBA fan mm. to the point where we had an ABBA band at our wedding. Did um, you? Yes. My wife is Swedish oh, yes. and so we needed some connecting point at our wedding and we had ABBA and we had one of those like, you know, I don't know how well respected those ABBA tribute bands were, but on the night you could have sworn we had reunited ABBA <laughs> because the dance floor was filled and it was a total gamble because we thought, God, I don't know. I, th- I don't know if everyone's going to love this. I don't know how this is going to go down. And when I swear, I swear it was the floor filler. And for they did an hour and a half of a set and nobody was not on the dance floor the entire time. So it was phenomenal. I would say my key proponent, my key guest of the members of ABBA is yeah. Benny Anderson because he, I believe, is the musical genius behind ABBA. And we actually walked down the aisle to Benny Anderson's son's song, Den Bilda. Did you? <laughs> so we are obsessed <laughs> and we are definitely like hardcore fans. So when I think of the opportunity of who I would sit down and talk to, there's so many questions I have. They've done so many interviews over the years, but I have, as you can tell, slightly obsessive um questions that I would like to ask and kind of unveil the sort of details of things. We went to the ABBA Museum in Stockholm uh, when my my son was only like six months and we have these shots of me and my wife and my son in the ABBA Museum. Holding him Holding up. him and like, so yes, we, oh God, I don't know if I've, I've completely uh, emerged no. as an ABBA stalker. But yeah, Benny Anderson, I think, is the is the ringleader. Yeah, I think you have to be a real party pooper not to get up and dance when you hear ABBA at a wedding. There is an ABBA song for every moment in life, I think. Mm. <laughs> also a band like ABBA is so interesting because they just that's never going to really happen again just because the world's changed yeah. so much and there's so many famous people now and there's so much choice whereas yeah. back then they were megastars yeah. and it's just I just that's not going to happen going forward that's so the thing think. and I think even if you look back at that time 
you know, the 70s, like there was the ability to have those fabulous outfits. There mm. was, you know, like when it was fandom back then. Tell me this... you wore those outfits to your wedding. I did not wear them. <laughs> I draw the line don't, at the outfits. Don't, don't <laughs> call sorry. yourself a fan. I'm sorry. I was actually recently, I was on Saturday Kitchen with uh, for the Eurovision special with Nicholas Ekstad, who is very respectable Swedish chef. They managed to convince him to wear a full ABBA style silver suit. And I, he will never, he will never let it down. Uh, it, but anyway, it's, it's, but that's the thing with Abbott. It's fun, it's yeah. camp, it's cheesy, and it's brilliant. And while the, I'd, I'd imagine as a guest, he probably isn't all of those things, he would be a fascinating person to speak mm. to and, and to have conversations with. Yeah. Okay, this is shaping up to be a great dinner mm. party. Who is going to be joining them? Well, look, I draw all my food inspiration and my, my love of food from my grandmother. And she was probably the ultimate dinner party host because in the 1970s she's a sculptor she was an artist and both myself and my granddad were were artists so and, and they ran a gallery in their home so my mum grew up in this beautiful house um, it was a small kind of um, house but it had a gallery out the back so uh, basically on a weekly monthly basis she would be doing uh, dinner parties she would be hosting dinner parties and entertaining so she has left us with this incredible legacy of these handwritten osmoroid pen written um notebooks and cookbooks oh, that wow. she has I actually and there have, are photos of them in the photos. book so in the yeah. book you can see like there is she has written this like notebook of all the different french terms like uh, florentine and lorraine and leonese and so the beautiful thing about this is that she has left us with these legacy recipes that I know that she would have written or she would have written after or before hosting these dinner parties in the 70s. So it's like this time capsule mm. into this world. And she had, I remember her her beautiful dining room. She had kind of mid-century furniture and this beautiful um dining table that traveled with her all of all the way to the the last house they lived in before she passed away. And I just have these visions of what it used to be like and this lovely moment where they had a little cubby hole where they'd serve the food through to. And I love those cubby like holes. Gorgeous. Those need to make a comeback. Yeah. So and I remember good. even as a child, she used to have, uh, because it would always be there because she would always be cooking and they used to have this little kind of tea set coaster. And I don't know if you had this, but they had like rock sugar. Have you come across this before? They're these little... Oh, like crystals. Crystals, yeah. Mm. But they're kind of like tiny. But we as kids used to... She never had like sweets and things like proper <laughs> grandmothers, you imagine. And instead she had like rock... And so we'd be eating rock sugar <laughs> as our treat when we go to visit her. So, but, but from that perspective... She left us with this fabulous legacy of these wonderful recipes. And the true success of her as a, as a home cook was that she had confidence in the kitchen. And mm -hmm. if I imbue one thing in the cookbooks to my children, to, you know, the people who, who cook from my recipes, it's to have confidence as a home cook. And I think over the years, um, the, the amount of stories and the amount of experiences she has she has she had had would make her the most fabulous dinner party dish. Oh, she sounds <laughs> heavenly. When you're going through all of those books, was there anything that jumped out at you as as quite of the time? Like there was a lot of gelatin back there then. Was wasn't there was a lot of she actually didn't have too many kind of uh, clangers in the sense of like oh god I don't know if we know like be quite that. strange combinations. No, like she was banana pretty... cream and mint. No, she like, definitely like... didn't go down that route. <laughs> Well, you've only got one spot left. Yes. Well, it's I, I tried to think of someone who's who is a current inspiration and has been kind of throughout my career. And there is a mantra that I jokingly bring to everything I do when it comes to food photography. And I shoot quite a lot of um, my own food photography and I have done from day dot. And the mantra is 
WWDD, what would Donna do? And <laughs> that Donna I refer to is Donna Hay. She is the Australian doyen of food photography, of cookbooks. She has them out her ears. She is a f- fabulous all-round person. I have followed her work since I was probably about 10 or 11. Oh, really? I am obsessed with Donna. And, and she... The reason the obsession became a reality was because my mum and my aunts used to, and whenever they would travel, they would always bring back food magazines. And we went to New York and they would have brought back Bon Appetit and Savour and Food and Wine. And we had these collections of food magazines and I poured over them as a, as a child. And I don't know how we ended up with a Donna Hay magazine, but we ended up with a Donna Hay magazine. And so if you remember them in the like late, kind of mid to late 90s, they were a breath of fresh air mm. in the photography space. And I truly believe Donna was the, you know, the, the forefront of that change of food photography and has set a tone that has continued to this day. Mm. You look at those magazines back then and they were so ahead of their time. They were so fresh and vibrant. And it was only after that that you kind of saw people like Jamie coming onto the mm. scene and adding those sort of splashes of Mediterranean and, you know, Nigella adding that sort of homely sort of um, in, inspiring new ingredients that were only starting to filter in. And that was kind of towards the late 90s. So Donna was already kind of using those like Asian influences that Australia kind of has has become known for in its in its food scene. So I would absolutely um, love to have her. But I have to say that I have weaseled my way into becoming uh, pals with Donna. <laughs> because I, as I, You've gone from fan to friend. Well, I like to think so. I mean, I'll have to ask her if she fully can uh, can say that we're pals. I was, I was hosting Saturday Kitchen um, after James Martin left. And it was that kind of transitionary stage before uh, Matt Tebbett took over. And so I was on quite a lot and I was hosting and... Every week they would kind of tell us who was going to be on that week. And my jaw nearly hit the floor when they rang me one day and told me that Donna was going to be the guest. And so I was... Was that the first time you met her? That was the first time I met her. And like, she had no clue who I was. And of course... I like had to play it very cool. I was like, Donna, I have. Well, actually, I didn't play it cool. I was just honest with her. I told her. I, I love how loved... you were about to say, I told her I loved her, but I played it very yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so as she as she tottled across the, the floor at Saturday Kitchen, I did tell her I was a massive fan and we had a fabulous time and she is so much fun. I have high regard for Donna and I think she is probably, uh, continues to push the boat. I was heartbroken when she stopped the magazine, but the books continue to this day to be pushed the envelope in terms of what food photography can be how you bring together a collection of really inspiring recipes that home cooks can tackle and from that perspective it's something that i've always aspired to so donna yeah. would be in the mix oh. for sure and she's great fun she's great fun okay this is sounding like a very excellent i feel party. like i'm coming across like an absolute <laughs> stalker from the abba front to donna wes i think is probably backed out of the room at this point uh <laughs> It's going to be fine. We've My got grandmother, your grandmother is like, I'm not coming, I'm not, do not raise me from the dead. She's like, I am not related to him. No, this is going to be great. Everyone's going to have such a good time. Um, set the scene for us. Where is it happening? We were in the States for five years. And one of the things I loved was the architecture of the mid-century style architecture. And the houses are just fabulous. And we had a friend who had, um, had a house in Palm Springs. And in Palm Springs, they're pretty much all, all the houses are like that. And Richard Neutra is fantastic he, he uh, designed the Kaufman house and mm. the Elvis honeymoon house and so um, it was the playground for the rich and famous back in the in the 1970s you know and I think it would be the ideal location to have the most fabulous dinner party okay this is sounding great mm-hmm. so what time do you ask people to come to your dinner parties 
Um, I think if you spoke to me before children, it would be eight o'clock, but I think we'd be probably starting at about 6.30 and now because I'd be thinking of like, okay, they're going to be up at five. So uh, I'll probably need to start this early so we can finish. So no, okay, let's take children out of the equation. Yeah. We would probably start at about seven. I like okay. a seven o'clock dinner party because that allows for an hour of kind of mingling, maybe having some canapes, maybe having that moment to kind of connect and then probably to eat for about 8 p.m. Okay. Yeah. So you ask people for seven. Yes. Does that mean you want them to come at seven? I have a Scandinavian wife. So yes, if you're not here at seven and you haven't taken off your shoes. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, 7 p.m. I think, well, from an Irish perspective, that probably means half seven. Um, mm. Certainly with my parents. It's very confusing, <laughs> isn't it? It is. The hour of seven to eight is gives the allowance for any stragglers. Okay. Yeah. Is there a time after which you'd be thinking, well, that's quite rude? If they're there for eight, I would be thinking an hour is that we're past the grace period. Yeah. Okay. Even if it's Wes, you're going to be... Even if it's Wes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry, Wes. And when they arrive, mm -hmm. what are you thinking in terms of drinks and maybe a canapé or is that, how do you approach that? I like a cocktail station. Ooh. I have every year for the last while I've had, uh, I do a, an annual cocktail um, we have I've moved actually haven't got one for this year yet Negroni was last year's mm -hmm. um, actually Negroni kind of saw me through lockdown um, <laughs> Negroni's made a regular feature through lockdown <laughs> because it is essentially three drinks in one yeah. um, <laughs> so they're strong and you don't need that many of them to uh, find your happy place so uh, Negroni's tend to be a good one because they're not too much fuss they're, they're three shots of gin vermouth and Campari and a slice of lemon so, or a slice of orange and they're very easy to bring together so mm. I think uh, a good Negroni station is is probably a good start. Yes. Anything else is a little bit faffy. Um, I'm a big proponent of anything that can be pre-mixed. Um, yeah. So anything that you could have and and pour. Again, I always go to low fuss. So anything that can be ready that literally is pourable. And the little station is always important. So your nice little tray, yes. your oranges are sliced. You've got your lovely glasses. You might have a shaker, but you're probably not going to be shaking. Uh, the previous drink was a Pisco Sour. Ooh. That was my LA drink. And I love a Pisco Sour. Um, they're a bit more of a faff. and uh, we They're also dangerous. They're also very dangerous. And at the time when we lived in LA, we had an, a lemon tree. So I always had like lemon juice on tap. So I was like, this is my... My piast resistance was was that from I the lemon, the lemon tree. tree and be obnoxious <laughs> and bring it out and squeeze it. But uh, but yeah, so that that was it. So a pisco sour and Negroni, something that is strong and starts the conversation. Um, alongside that, I like little nibbly bits, and that's probably my moment again where I would look to something that. I could buy in like something yeah. that you know is of high quality like and since we moved back to Ireland I love the fact that we have these fabulous Irish producers mm. these little canapes that you can kind of make out of really good sourdough and like a smoked trout pate and Ooh, yeah. little smoke oh, there's a fabulous um trout producer <laughs> in Kilkenny and they do gorgeous this uh, beautiful trout row and I'm I regularly my canapé is like smoked uh smoked trout and then the little row on top mm. and on nice sourdough bread it's simple it's easy you can have it ready prepped on a nice platter that can be served around I always try and keep it as simple as possible something that's made ahead and I'm not faffing with it on the on the night yeah okay this is sounding very delicious oh sorry I have to add to that yes I have another one okay and this is like if this is more friends and family but we have this like really um it's kind of 
it's not very respectable, but it's a bit retro <laughs> and okay. it fits with the Palm Springs vibe. Yeah. But it's a, a thing I picked up in the States where it's good quality salted potato chips. You lay them out on a platter and you dollop it with Greek yogurt. You dollop it with dill, black pepper and the, that um, trout roe over the top. It looks phenomenal. It tastes so good and it is minimal effort. So good. Also, you get the best potato crisps exactly. in Ireland. That's so, so good. We That's have all so the potatoes in Ireland, yes. No, but not just because of the potatoes, but the crisps. I don't know what they do to them. Why are they so delicious? I can't tell you that. I'd have okay. to tell you. Okay, no, That's yeah. fair enough. We'll save it for the okay. party. <laughs> <laughs> so it's now time to sit down. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking about the starter? My first port of call is a fabulous organic farm, which is now going to be transported to Palm Springs in North County, Dublin, called McNally's. They are the best uh, spot to get really gorgeous ingredients and they do they grow padron peppers Ooh. and I love my favorite thing to do is sizzle them on a pan and so what I'm trying to come around to here is that there is no set starter okay there is more of sharing platters yeah. and we bring to the table a whole host of different dishes that people can help themselves onto a plate so padron peppers sizzled in the pan with a little bit of sesame oil and sesame seeds uh, sizzled until they're like charred and a little bit smoky um there's lovely salad leaves they McNally's do they grow these gorgeous collections of you know like mustard leaf and so a simple simply dressed salad leaf um charcuterie little elements of meat on the table i just love those little elements and tomato salad if it's the summer a gorgeous tomato salad with um fennel seeds roughly crushed and um and sizzled in oil and then spooned over the top phenomenal um they're those sorts of things that I get excited about. And like, and everyone talks about those dishes. Mm. They don't, if you do one starter, it'd probably possibly mess it up. No, everyone's going to remember that. If you do loads of little plates and it's generous and it's exciting and you've tickled their taste buds with fennel seeds and, you know, and padron peppers and things like that, all of a sudden people will have lots to think of and, th- and, th- and there's a generosity in the way you serve. So mm. I think that's the way forward. And that's probably how I would approach my dream dinner party. Okay. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. Can I, can I join the Absolutely. dream dinner party? I thought that was the whole way you, <laughs> why you do this podcast. Weasel my <laughs> yeah. way in there. And what are you drinking at this point? I'm not great on my wine, but I normally, uh, I normally revert to someone who is. So I get advice on the wine and I will tell, I normally go to a friend that is very good on wine. Or there, there used to be a fabulous little spot in in Howth where I'm from, um, called Marga. And Jess, who lo- looks after their wine in the restaurant Mamo, is someone who never steers me wrong in terms of wine. So, uh, oftentimes when I eat at that restaurant, I literally go, take it away. Yeah. Here's what we're eating. Tell me what to drink. Perfect. And so Marga, unfortunately, is no longer there. But they, I would always go in there, ask them and get advice on what I'm cooking. I like an organic uh, wine. I like something that has a bit of character and something that matches and attempts to match with what we're, we're eating for our mains. Okay, that's very sensible. It is now time for the main course. What are you thinking? So when I moved back to Ireland, when we had been in LA for five years, one of the biggest things that I had missed was the proximity to like understanding where our food was coming from. I think mm. LA is... It's as beautiful as it is and as diverse as it is from a food perspective, I always felt there was a slight disconnect with the food we were eating because you just had no idea where it was coming from. And when we came back to um, Sutton uh, in, in, in Dublin, I was three doors down from a fantastic butcher called uh, Higgins and Rick there uh, has an amazing butcher counter and uh, he has fantastic pork and I love good pork shoulder and slowly roasted good pork shoulder Mm -hmm. with crackling is one of those like 
the finest things in life. So a roast pork shoulder um, with garlic scapes from Drummond House. We had them at our at our wedding. Um, my fantastic friend Jenny, who used to run uh, Eastern Seaboard and Brownhound Bakery, she is like my food muse. Whenever I am at like my wits end of like what to think of next for a cookbook. So I have them served under the pork shoulder with crispy potatoes, the pork fat potatoes, really good greens, just simply cooked uh, pan fried tender stem broccoli and garlic. And um, my favorite thing with any brassica is to kind of roast it or pan fry it and then kind of put it into nice sharp vinaigrette, which was inspired by a fabulous restaurant called Jelena in Los Angeles. So it all kind of ties together in a roundabout way. But at the core of it, it has its Irish roots and mm. and strong memories that uh, that are and I suppose more than anything, these, these are the recipes that have sustained us over the years. And, you know, I think back to the things that I really want to sit down and eat with my friends and family. And those are the things I come back to. Yeah, that is a desert island dish, isn't it? That <laughs> sounds absolutely amazing. Well, on to pudding. Yes. What are you thinking? This is a hard one. Do you always serve a pudding? Absolutely. Mm. I'm a huge, I have a huge sweet tooth and it's something I love. I love, I love, I love. Um, again, make a head. And my aunt, Erica, provided me with a recipe for a pavlova that I have been making for many years. Now, I would say that we would make pavlova and that's where we would go. But you've got Donna Hay. Donna Hay is like the The queen queen of pavlova. Yeah, Yeah, that would be intimidating. That would be intimidating, which is why we're not going pavlova, but we're using my aunt's pavlova recipe. So it's one of the easiest ones you can make. So it's the meringue mixture. It's basically icing sugar and egg whites, which means that there's no graininess. You can't get it Mm. wrong. You dump everything into the mixer for and mix on high for 10 minutes. Then you add your corn flour, your white wine vinegar, gives you that like gorgeous marshmallowy mixture. And... What I like to do is mix it up. So it's not going to be Valvova. We will not do that to Donna. We'll not put her in the position of being judging. Because uh, actually one of the funny stories on Saturday Kitchen was I watched someone else slice Donna Hayes' cake and it was the most terrifying. I was I like holding my breath as the person like put it in slightly off angle and like Donna just does everything like with perfection. So um, I held my breath and let this all unfold as the host. It was the end of the show. So I, I knew we could just cut out of it. This wasn't the time you cut your finger. This off. was not the time I cut my finger. That's another story for <laughs> another day oh my god um but yes back to our meringue we've made the perfect pavlova meringue mixture what i like to do is literally take one of those big kind of stainless steel uh, spoons mm. take dollops of it and literally splat it onto a onto a baking sheet with parchment paper and make these really glorious fairy tale peak style meringues that get stacked up into this massive height you pour over ice cream you pour over this really ridiculous chocolate sauce nuts and it's something that everyone dives into it is my go-to I do it in various versions of it I do eat mess of it in the summer I do chocolate and chopped hazelnuts in the winter time I do like a tiramisu version of it with coffee and ice cream there's so many versions of it so it dependent on where where we are or what the celebration is that is my go-to and the reason I do it is because it is make ahead and I do have to say I am absolutely a stickler for whipped cream to be the right way. Any mm. food stylist who works with me quakes in their boots about, <laughs> about the, the whipped cream situation because if it goes grainy, we have to start again. And it is one thing. There's that, a fine line. It's a fine line. Mm. And uh, I have to say, I it's one of the moments where I don't let anyone into the kitchen. I do the whipped cream. The whipped cream goes over the meringues and then you top with everything else. And people love it because you dive in and everyone has an opportunity to serve it out. And I think more than anything, with my dream dinner party, it's the idea that 
I'm not just hosting. Everyone is receiving the food to the table and everyone is involved in serving mm. and passing around. And that in itself is a conversation starter. Mm. You had me at tiramisu. <laughs> uh, what, what's the name of this pudding? Um, what will we call it? It's like, it's, it's a, it's a ski and mess. Yeah. <laughs> and after your dinner party has ended, what do you like to do? Do you tend to play games? Are there more drinks? Do you go dancing? What does that look like? I tend to kind of stay at the table. We clear the table. Um, I, my wife laughs at this, but I recently got a guitar <gasps> And but I, you were I, in a band. I was in a band. Actually, when I met my wife first, I convinced her that I she had never heard uh, Snow Patrol's Chasing Cars. And I managed to be able to play it on the guitar and convinced her. I, I had oh written Chasing Cars. Total. <laughs> she must have been about to ring a record label. And be like, we're like, oh my God, something. He's, he's a genius. Um, but then she heard it on the radio and she was like, uh, what did you tell me? They anyway. stole my song. I just, I just don't know why it happened. But anyway, so I did used to play guitar and I was in a band, but I was never... I'm not a musician per se. I think there is something lovely about evenings that just kind of evolve. So the food has been the starting point. You know, you set the tone, you set the mood, but whether it's music or whether it's chat or that song, whether it's, you know, stories that are told, I do believe that is the success of a good dinner mm. party is that it has set the stage for what happens after the dinner mm. and how, what, after the food has been served. Yeah. So you don't want people to just eat and run. I don't want people eating run. I, my worst moment is when someone looks at their oh. phone and goes, oh, actually, we probably should go. And I hate that moment. I, I want those nights where they just unfold, where, you know, and actually, sorry, with our friends, they, it does tend to end up in a sing song. So Yeah. <laughs> those are always unfortunate, though, because you haven't had that conversation beforehand about who's up for, like, you know, really having a lovely, ahead. and then who yeah. just has to rush off. And yeah. then it is so disappointing. It's so when disappointing, they, especially then, when you've gone to the effort. I know, and then it's like a domino effect, and someone else is like, oh, okay, maybe we should go. And, yeah. then and actually, you know, it's funny, because, like, as a child, I remember like those dinner parties my mom, and possibly because we were sent to bed but like remembering those noises of downstairs yeah. of like people having a blast and uh, that is something like I think is really important and I think those sorts of noises and those sorts of experiences are what make a house a home mm. so it is something that's really important do you know what I would like I would like to go to a dinner party where someone gets out their guitar afterwards and they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can come to mine and we can sort that out for you. <laughs> you only ever do that if you are quite good and yeah. you have a lovely voice. But I would I would very much appreciate a host who had a terrible voice but just loved it. Well, I will give you a laugh because we went on holidays as a family and um, I can sing to a point, but I was, I was probably more the... One of the, like, in Take That, I wouldn't have been Robbie and I would have been Gary and I probably wouldn't have been Mark either. I'm probably Howard in, okay. in Take That. Sorry, Howard. So I can hold, <laughs> sorry, Howard. Look, but what I would say is that I can hold a tune. And so my thing is that when I when I get the opportunity, I get up and sing. And I can't really, like, I can do it. And we got up and... Um, <laughs> At a at a family holiday, I got up to sing uh, and sang Van Morrison's uh, "Brown Eyed Girl" with a with a group of Thai men who were who were playing, <laughs> and I couldn't sing it. I didn't know the words, but I could keep the show on the road. And my brother was standing there with his head in his hands, going so embarrassed. And when I sat down. This girl from Australia behind us who looked like Megan Fox or like this beautiful girl came in and was like, well done you, you did fantastic, I loved it. And my brother was like, oh my God, you can literally, <laughs> literally do anything you want. So, so yes, uh, yes. I, well, yes, I, I, I that's like the thing about singing, isn't it? Very attractive. you got to sell it. you yeah. got to sell it. Yeah. Yeah. At your dream dinner party, what time do you ideally like people to leave? 
Ooh, well, I mean, I think that's the essence of if it's a good dinner party. Mm. So you probably want people to be past the 12 o'clock mark. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, in, well, an Irish dinner party, I don't yeah. know about what goes on over here, but an Irish dinner party, you've eaten till 10. You probably want people to be still going like through 11, 12 and, you know, festivities have gone on. But yeah, I think in my world, a re- the sign of a good dinner party is that it, it goes on till late. Okay. And apart from your grandmother, mm. And I guess it's not a fair question because you're also friends with Donna. But who would you be most likely to keep in touch with out of all those guests? Oh, okay. Well, without those two, part of it. um... (laughs) So so only really between. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I think Benny probably doesn't have the time to, to, you know, make new friends. So Wes, I'll go for Wes. Well, Wes seems like a man with a lot of time on his Exactly. And maybe I could maybe consult on some food in the new movies. Mm. Maybe like he always has had these quintessential Mm. food moments within his movies, like the beautiful pastry in Mm. um, Grand Budapest Hotel. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Donal, that was your dream dinner party. Thank you so much. Come next time, okay? (laughs) Thank you, Donal. So there we have it. Donal's dream dinner party is over. The food has been eaten. The guests have gone home. I do hope you enjoyed today's episode and make sure you're subscribed to catch all episodes of the Dream Dinner Party and Desert Island Dishes. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.